Well, let's take our Bibles tonight, and I want you to go with me to Joshua chapter 15, and then I want you to put your finger um, in Judges chapter 3. Judges, Joshua chapter 15, I want us to read some scriptures tonight, and we're just kind of staying on this theme of I believe, and I believe we can never out-preach on this matter of faith and believing God. We're going to see a, a story about an Old Testament character tonight that I think greatly inspires us, and quite honestly, I don't remember if I've heard any messages preached about him, I probably have, but it'll help us tonight, and I just want you to get your pen out and some notes and take some notes tonight, and we'll just thank the Lord. By the way, I'm just thankful tonight, I want to encourage you to keep... Uh, to remember our, 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 our building furnishings offering for the, the education building. I don't know if you noticed, but the second floor is, man, they are moving on it right now. And it's just looking great outside. The second floor is getting constructed and built. And, and, um, but, uh, you know, one of our members came up to me today and gave, gave me an envelope and had a, a check for a substantial amount that they gave for the building furnishings. And we're just excited about that and how God's working in people's hearts. I want to encourage you to keep praying about it. In about three more Sundays here, we're just going to wrap this up. And I want you just to pray about what your part and involvement is and help us to raise up the funds. I'm going to give some more towards that. And we just want to get these funds raised. And you just pray for us and we'll be right on time for getting this building started. I'm excited about some things we'll be, we'll be doing to get ready for this building. And we want to fill it up, and we're praying for God to raise up the teachers we need to just in all levels and just try to reach, reach people for Christ and build that up for the glory of God. Joshua 15, verse 13. And to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. You might want to make a note in your margins if you're not familiar with that. These were the giants of Canaan. These were giants of men. Probably, if, the, if my, my study is correct, these, pro, these men were probably not less than 10 feet tall. These were big, big men. If the NBA existed during that time, they would have been first-round draft picks. How many believe that tonight? Amen? And uh, these were big men. And by the way, in verse 13, when it says Caleb gave a part, aren't you glad there's enough of God's inheritance for everybody? Yeah, that's just a great thought. There's just enough of God's inheritance for everybody there, you know. You don't have to be greedy and think you've got to take it all. There's enough for everybody there, amen. And uh, the Bible says, now, we're, our thoughts on a Caleb tonight. Our thoughts on a Caleb. We're, th- we're looking at one of Caleb's descendants tonight. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before that with Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb gave a challenge. Notice he said this. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath-Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, you want to circle the name Othniel, underline Othniel, that's who we're talking about tonight. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother, that is the younger brother of Caleb, he took it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, to wife. It came to pass, and she came unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. Tonight, I'll focus our attention on a man by the name of Othniel, and you're going to, I'm going to give you the title of the message, and you're going to kind of wonder, where does this fit with the title? You'll see tonight. But I want to talk to you about a man who was the king of the jungle. And we need some champions for God. We need some servants of the Lord who will be kings of the jungle, who will have a heart like this man Othniel had during a time where there's so much confusion and wishy-washy Christianity. 
and compromised beliefs. This is a time for us to stand up and be men who have got hearts like a lion, hearts after God. And I'm going to encourage you tonight to just let the Lord speak to you, whether you're a man or woman, and that God would increase your faith tonight for his glory. Now, Father, tonight we're already thankful for the hymns that have been sung, just getting here to church and and just having the spirit that the psalmist said, I was glad when they sent it to me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. And Father, this year we are determined to build our services, to build the church. We're determined tonight by the grace of God to build our lives upon your word. And Father, I pray this evening you would remove from us the spirit of timidity and the spirit of fear. Because the Bible says you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I pray tonight that we would not be Christians who are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Christians who are unashamed and Christians who have a fervency, a fire, a desire for God to use us. God, inspire us tonight. God, illuminate our hearts this evening. God, I pray for the word of God to be a sharp two-edged sword that would pierce and divide asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrows and be discerned of the thoughts and tents of the heart, whether we're new Christians or seasoned Christians, whether we're Sunday school teachers or not Sunday school teachers, whoever we may be, whatever may be going in our lives tonight, I pray the spirit of God would have complete control. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon me tonight. Use me this evening that I might speak as it would be the oracles of God. And I pray this evening that our hearts would be enlarged and our mouths would be open to you. And we'll thank you for this service. We pray for souls to be saved in this service. We pray that God, you'd raise up some soldiers for Christ. And it might be tonight, I pray that you'd call a man to the ministry. I pray you'd call a man to be a preacher tonight. I pray this evening that you'd send forth labors into the harvest because of this service tonight. I pray this evening that someone would be inspired just like Othniel to take it. And that, Lord, that you'd be glorified. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Numbers 1330 behind me is our theme verse for this year where Caleb just stood up during a time when they needed to possess the promised land. And he said, we are well able to possess it. His basic thought was, I believe that God has given it to us. I believe that we're well able. I believe those giants are not a problem. I believe that God wants us to have it. And he just went on and did that. And tonight we're looking not at Caleb necessarily. We're looking at a relative and a descendant of Caleb. We're looking at a man who caught the same spirit as Caleb. We're looking at Othniel, who is a nephew of Caleb. To most people, he is an unknown quantity. In fact, you might read through this during your devotion and say, that's a great thought, but you may not really capture or seize upon the principles and thoughts that are contained here. Othniel is mentioned in scripture four distinct times. Four distinct times we find Othniel mentioned to us. The first two times we find here in Joshua chapter 15 and again in Judges chapter 3. In those two, in, in those two uh, mentions, we find him mentioned as the conqueror of Kirjath Sefer. The third time he is mentioned, we see God raising him up in Judges chapter 3 as a judge, as a man who God raised up during a very, very uh, difficult time in the nation of Israel. God raised him up to deal with a king of Mesopotamia, what we would call today modern day Syria, and a man, if you would, who is, who is named basically meant twice wicked king. The last time we have Othiel mentioned is where we read over in First Chronicles that he was the father of two sons. He had two sons that are mentioned. Those are the four times Othniel's mentioned to us. You might write down in your margin if it's not in your notes already. Othniel's name means lion of God. What, what an incredible name. 
His father that gave birth to him, Kenaz, basically said his name is Othniel, El meaning God. His name means the Lion of God. He was a descendant of the tribe of Judah. And we'll see some, some significance of that tonight. But I, I think as, as I look at this man, he is a conqueror. He's a champion, not humanly speaking, but spiritually speaking. I believe this man, Othniel, embodies what we need to embody in our daily lives, what is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 to 58. You might read that with me. It says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I believe that this man, Othniel, embodies for us a character, an individual who is always abounding. I like the word always as it describes this individual. That meant there was no interruption. That meant there was no intermittent changes. That meant that he didn't get flaky along the way and then he changed and came back again. And then he stayed consistent all the way through. Our Christianity needs to be a consistent Christianity. Our world society need people that are consistent and persistent and faithful. And this man was always abounding. He was always fruitful. He was always serving. He was always conquering. He was always right with God. He was always living for the Lord. He always thought about the God, about the Lord that he served. He was always abounding in what we did and what he did. Othniel was a man who was a man of faith, who believed. Othniel was a man who possessed the lion heart. As we'll see during his time, as he lived in a time and society that was upside down, he was a man who is king of the jungle. Notice four things about this man by the name of Othniel. If you're taking notes tonight, notice four things tonight that encourage my heart and I pray to encourage your heart. Number one, I want you to see Othniel, the conqueror. We see his individuality as a conqueror, as a champion. That's, he, how, that's how he's presented to us here. Off the opening pages of Joshua chapter 15, he's presented to us as a conqueror. He's presented to us as a champion. Notice in verses 13 to 15, the first thing we see tonight is the pattern of his fathers, which you notice as I read that again. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord, to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before with Kirjath-Sever. You know, the first thing we read about this man by the Othniel, before we read about him, we read about his forefathers. We read about his spiritual ancestors. We read about the faith of his father. We read about his uncle by the name of Caleb. Caleb inspired a tribe, an entire nation to take their inheritance. Caleb went forth and by faith, by commitment, by courage and determination, he took that whole mountain area. He took away from the sons of Anak what God said they needed to have. He went up there and took over the city of Hebron. He made it his conquest. He took it for himself and for his inheritance and for his family. And then if you notice through that, he inspired he inspired his, his, his nephew Othniel to do the same thing. I remind you tonight that we must consider the faith of our fathers. We must consider the faith of men who've preceded us, who've gone on and are, have served the Lord and did great things and have passed the Baptist baton to us and have passed down the fundamentalist baton so that you and I can be used of God. Jeremiah 5, 5 says, I will get me unto the great men and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judge 
religion of their God. These have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful about for our Baptist forefathers. I'm thankful for men going back to that first and second century, men like Polycarp. I'm thankful as you think about along the way, men along the way who were burned at the stake. I'm thankful for men like Charles Spurgeon, who was an English, who was a ba- who was an English Baptist preacher. I'm thankful for men like that. I'm thankful for men who I'll refer to a little bit later, like Dr. John R. Rice, who was a great patriarch of the faith, the pattern of our fathers. Listen, because of John R. Rice's ministry, he inspired preachers not just to claim cities. He inspired preachers to claim states. I think of Tom Malone, who got inspired by the ministry of John, Dr. John R. Rice, and he moved up from Alabama and went up there to Detroit as the, as, as the automobile industry was emerging there up in the Michigan area. And he's decided there in Pontiac, Michigan, that he would start a church out of, uh, out of uh, with nothing. And he went there being sent out of Alabama, and he started a church. And for many, many years, the, the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Pontiac, Michigan, was one of the great Baptist church of our nation. It was the largest independent Baptist church, and for that matter, one of the largest churches throughout all of the state of Michigan for many, many years. I'm thankful for how Dr. Rice became friends, and through his influence, Dr. Lee Robertson came out of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Lee Robertson was determined to go to a city there, down there in Tennessee. And he went to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which really, if you go to Chattanooga, all that, you, that Chattanooga is famous for is one insurance company, nothing else there. And he went down there and he started building a church and he built the great Highland Park Baptist Church, an independent Baptist church that greatly influenced our independent Baptist ministry. For many, many years, the, he, start, he started this uh, Bible college called Tennessee Temple University. And for many, many years, Tennessee Temple University uh, just circled the globe with missionaries who were going out and doing being greatly used of God. And preachers were sent out. And and evangelists were sent out being greatly used of God. Dr. Lee Robertson not only influenced all of Chattanooga, he influenced all of the state of Tennessee. Dr. Lee Robertson became the model and example for leadership in starting churches. He inspired a man by the name of Jack Hiles, who after he left Texas and built a great church there, went up up there to Hammond, Indiana, built one of the great churches of our generation. And for many, many years, Dr. Rice and Dr. Hiles preached all across the span of our country and around the world and making an impact for Jesus Christ. I could go on and on and tell you about men. I think of men like Dr. Roy Thompson, who was, was just inspired. He came out of a very rough background. He's a roofing by nature. He beat up people. I mean, he, got, he probably would have been a gangster if he hadn't gotten saved. He got glory saved under the ministry of one of our leading Baptist preachers. And Roy Thompson was at the cusp back in the early days of the, of the fundamental Baptist movement there in the state of Ohio, where if you go back and read your history, Ohio was the great state of our nation where independent Baptist churches were thriving and being set up. Great churches were thriving. You couldn't find a a thriving church that ran less than a thousand people back in those days. And Roy Thompson led the cusp of that. He was right at the forefront of that and there in Cleveland, Ohio, doing a great work for God and sent thousands and thousands literally millions of dollars to missions at the time when Faith Promise Mission was just going out. I just say today, we consider the pattern of the fathers. These men did great things. Hebrews thirteen seven says, remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. And these men, we must follow their faith. King Rehoboam, when he became became king, he had the pattern of some older men that he could have followed. And he went to the older men that his father had, and he asked them for counsel. But he rejected their counsel and took instead the counsel of the younger men. And as a result of that, King Rehoboam split the kingdom in half. I'm saying to you today, when we look at a man like Othniel, we must consider the pattern of the fathers. I want to encourage young people to follow the faith of your pastor. And I want to call, I encourage young people to follow the faith of older men who are trying to live for God and staying consistent and, and modeling the Christian faith and modeling winning souls and modeling having a home that's glorifying to God and a marriage that exalts Jesus. 
Jesus Christ and trying to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to encourage you tonight to consider the pattern of the fathers. That's what Othniel did. But notice, secondly, we see about this man, Othniel, as a conqueror. We notice the performance of his faith. And we find that in verses 15 to 17, the challenge was given by his uncle, uh, by his uncle Caleb. To, to take this area south of Kirjath Sefer. And he said, uh, Kir, uh, where, where he, uh, south of Hebron. And he said, he's a smite as Kir, he said in verse 15, and went up this to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before was Kirjath Sefer. But somehow, Caleb just didn't feel that that's what he wanted to conquer. He conquered all that he wanted, and he felt like he wanted to issue a challenge. He wanted to see what young men from the next generation would step up and do something. Remember, Caleb was 85 years of age, and he said, my eyes are not dim and my strength is not abated. He said, I have the same strength today that I hit at age 40. But he says, I just kind of feel like maybe I need to see if there's some other young man that's got a faith and desire to do something. And we read verse 16. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjah Sefer, and taketh it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. And notice verse 17, we read such a wonderful thing. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Kenaz being the younger brother Caleb, the brother of Caleb, he took it and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, to wife. Now one thing said about his faith that should stand out to you and me. Look at verse 17 again. One thing stands out to us that should just inspire you. It says, Othniel took it. That's all it says. He took it. That's what faith is. Just take it. Amen. I just encourage you tonight, let's take some cities for God, amen? Why don't you take hold of some things? Just take it, okay? I mean, don't, don't debate about them. Just take it. I mean, Othniel just said, well, you know, my uncle said whoever takes it, he gets, he gets his daughter to wife, and that's a great prize. And fathers did that back in those days. They wanted the young men to prove themselves. So he said, well, listen, I, I want to prove that I'm worthy of, his, of being a, a son-in-law to this man. And he went and took that city. He took that area. He, he defeated some giants. He, he, had to, he, had to, uh, he had to shed some blood of some people along the way. But he just went and took it. Listen, he had a faith, but he had a faith accompanied by works. And I want to encourage you today. Don't be someone that just sits in the congregation that just has faith, but be someone whose faith is accompanied by your works. In James chapter 2 verse 20, it says, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And so you notice tonight, we see that faith was working in this man's life. And I want to encourage you tonight to be someone who has that courageousness and the heroicness of all of you, but put some work behind it. Get busy for God. Serve the Lord. There's plenty of places to serve God. There's lots of things we could do. I want to encourage you to have some, add some works to your faith. This man was proven just like Stephen. He was a man of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and filled with wisdom. He didn't ask, he didn't create a mess and ask somebody else to clean it up. He didn't see a problem and ask somebody else to solve it. He went in there with, as a man of wisdom and he solved the problem. He went in there and he got the thing done. He got accomplished. He didn't have to ask for instruction. He'd studied and modeled. He studied the model of his uncle, uh, of his uncle Caleb and said, if Caleb can do that to the sons of Anak, I can do that to Kirjah Sefer. And I like what it says there. It just says, Othniel went and he took it. And I want to encourage some men today. Why don't you take some territory today? Why don't you claim some areas today? Why don't you take control of the situation not let the situation take control of you? Let's take some things today. Let's take San Leandro this year. Let's take Oakland this year. Let's get San Francisco. Amen. I mean, let's get Hayward. Hey, say amen. Otherwise you're dead. And you're, I'm going to keep preaching tonight. Amen. Let's take it. Let's take it. What are we waiting for? Man, listen, God gives the prize. God says, God says, take it. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. He took it. Notice something else about this man. We see the performance of his faith and the pattern of his fathers. But I want you to see something else. And if you'll notice, go with me over to Judges chapter 3 for a moment. Verse 
From that moment when he took Kurjasefer, a minimum of 38 to 40 years has gone by. 38 to 40 years has gone by. He was probably a man at best maybe 18 to 20 years of age when he took Kurjasefer. He's now a man probably 60 years of age. I've watched people over time. I've watched you over time. Some people change. Some people question their theology. Some people are not content with having the right kind of music. Some people are not content. They're not content with staying with the King James Bible. They think, well, I need a more modern translation. You don't need a modern translation. You need God's translation. Some people are not content of being a biblical Baptist. They, they, they like the name Baptist, but they want to associate with everybody else. And they want to be part of the new evangelical movement. I'm going to tell you tonight, biblical Baptists are not new evangelical. And I want you to notice as we look at this man by the name of Othniel, notice his persistent philosophy. Because at a time when the nation needed a judge to be raised up, he was the man that God picked. His philosophy did not change. That what he did in claiming courage as seed for 38 to 40 years before were the same ingredients that God saw in him to raise him up to be the judge over the entire nation of that period of time. Listen, we must be persistent in our philosophy of ministry. Listen, we must be persistent about how we serve God. Proverbs 24, 21 tells us not to meddle not with them given a change. Now, some of you are a little bit more on social media than me. And I'm talking about some of you young men and young ladies. You're a little bit more on social media than I care to be and I have time to be. And there's a lot of stuff going on on social media with a lot of what I would call media star pastors and even including in our Baptist movement and just basically a bunch of narcissistic individuals are getting on social media and they want to impress you with their cool music and their cool Jesus and they want to impress you with this and with that. They want to impress you. Well, look what we did here and how we cut back our services here. I want to tell you tonight, don't you set your motto as being these cool dudes that are in the pulpit. Your motto needs to be Jesus Christ tonight. Your motto needs to be a savior who died for your sin. Listen, the Christ who died on Calvary His death on the cross still saves sinners the same way it did when he died for them. And I want to encourage you tonight, some of you young men who are kind of rethinking your theology and rethinking your separation and rethinking your music. I want to tell you tonight, you need to follow the pattern of your fathers that decide tonight that you're going to be persistent in your philosophy. Well, I was way over at Falls Baptist Church. I spent some time with my good friend Daniel Van Gelderen. And we were spending some time in the car and talking about some things. And we talked about one of the so-called leaders of this new this new generation that's going out there. And, and in his church in a particular city not very far from her, they just announced it's all over social media that he's going to have a CCM group there because he wants to reach more people. What bothers me on that is the hundreds and hundreds of pastors that are following him and thinking that's the cool thing to do. And they're lowering their standards and lowering the way because they're, they're thinking, well, if CCM is the way to do it, we're going to do it. And you say, what's CCM? Contemporary Christian music, which is basically glorified rock music in the church setting. By the way, you know what, tonight, just let me tell you this. If I want rock music, I don't, go to, I don't need to go to church to get it. If I want rap and all this stuff, I'm going to go where it's better than when it is in the church. Amen? I mean, come on. It was persistent in philosophy. Well, I'm the same. You're the same what? The same where? The same how? The same what? The same stubbornness? Or fervency for Christ? Compassion for souls? Doing something for God, taking some risks. And I'm saying tonight, we look at this man by the name of Othniel, and you'll notice in chapter 15 and chapter 3, we see this man as a conqueror quickly now. We need to keep moving on. But you notice something else. Go back to chapter 15 with me, and this will encourage you tonight. We see Othniel the conqueror. But notice Othniel and his companion. 
His individual is a conqueror, but you notice his inspiration as a the inspiration of his companion. He was inspired by his uncle. You you take courage as for you get my daughter to wife. The Bible says, verse 17, he took Arthur, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. And he gave him access, his daughter, to wife. Listen, tonight, this man was the recipient of a great reward. He was the recipient of a gifted reward. He proved himself as a companion. He proved himself as a son-in-law to Othniel. He proved to Caleb and Axa that he had the godly virtues, character, and DNA to be her husband. Hey, listen tonight. Back in those days, listen, all you unmarried people. Back in those days, for a man, for, for a woman to get married, a man had to prove himself, okay? He had to prove himself in battle. I mean, I think about the, 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 the command that Saul gave to David. He said, if you want my daughter to wife, you've got to kill a hundred, 200 Philistines. And you know the story there. And he says, now that you've got to t- kill him, you've got to bring back a body part to prove that you killed him. Amen. You said, what is that all about? Just go read your Bible. You'll know what I'm talking about. Amen. And this man here, he had to prove himself. He had to go out and he had to conquer those cities. If he wanted to get it, to get it, get his way. Hey, listen, you single guys here, before you ask to marry one of our girls at church, you need to prove yourself. You guys raising your daughters up there, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to be out to protect your daughter. You're going to be thinking, well, I don't know if I want my daughter to get married. Well, don't be that overprotective. Amen. It's a good thing that you get, they get married, okay? You wanna, you wanna get them out of the house and get them married there some period of time. But listen, you want the best for your daughters and you want the best for your sons. And this man, he proved himself. He had to get the reward. Listen, behind every man who's striving for Jesus Christ, I wanna tell you, behind that man is a wife that prays for him, a wife that's a gift of reward. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18-22, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. It's a good thing to get married. It's a good thing to marry in the Christian faith. It's a good thing to find a wife that loves God. Listen, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the two walking together is talking about spiritual virtues and spiritual goals and spiritual desires and being in the right church and serving God and loving God. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. And you ought to say tonight, for every man here tonight, if God has given you that kind of wife, you found the good thing. You found the right thing in your life. You found that which complements that emptiness in your heart. You found that which complements the weirdness in your life. Amen. She took you from being weird and made you more sane. Amen. And she helped your life to get straightened out on things. Whoso find the wife, find the good thing. Proverbs 19, 14 says, houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers and a prudent wife is from the Lord. I'm just saying tonight, this man got a gift of reward. But notice something else. He got her as a reward. He got his wife and uh, he noticed something. You, we see a giant request. I like the fact that Axel was a woman that just she was a woman of simple faith and many ways, but she was a woman of great, great faith. And uh, the Bible says something very interesting in verse 18. She makes a giant request of her father. And notice verse 18. And it came to pass that she came unto him, that she moved him to ask her father a field. Now listen, the area that, that, that Othniel got, you go look it up in your Bible geography. He got a large piece of land. I mean, he could build, he had enough land there for many, many generations. He had a large area, just like what Caleb had. And so, you know, this man Othniel was just content on two things. One, he got the land. Number two, he got his woman. Amen. I mean, he was happy about that. And you know how it is. Uh, you know, these newly married guys, once they got their wife, and she says, I will, and they get married. I mean, that he just thinks that's the end of life. That's not the end of life. That's the beginning of life, amen? Depending on where you're at in life, okay? And, and uh, so, so, you know, it was just the beginning of things for, for that, for, for Othniel right there. And, uh, and, and so she's looking at the situation. Watch this now. This is a mountain area. And she's thinking, remember, this is an agrarian society, an agricultural world. And she's thinking as a good wife, like a Proverbs 31 woman, she's thinking about, 
fields, irrigation, water for a bath. Amen? Okay, water for cooking. She's thinking about vineyards. She's thinking about farmland. And as, as she, she's looking at this, she knows, who, she knows the capability of her father. She knows her father's abilities. She knows her father's assets. And she moves, she could have asked her father herself, which she does. But she moves him, notice in verse 18, she moves him to ask of her father a field. And as she lighted off her donkey or ass, the Bible, Caleb said to her, what, what is that? Now he kind of just, he was a good dad. He just, he didn't wait, he didn't wait for, for Othniel to come up. I mean, he just was a great dad who loved his daughter. And, and you know, you know, dads, you know, dads, you know how it is. Your, your daughter's got you twisted around their fingers and you'll do whatever they ask you to do. And you just love your daughters and you just want to help them all, all that you can there. And so, so he's just like that. I mean, he probably's got buyer's remorse if you, or seller's remorse that he gave his daughter to Othniel. Maybe he's got a little bit of remorse about that. And she's getting off her donkey and he sees her approaching and she's, she's getting a little bit ahead of Othniel. Now, when I say that, she wasn't usurping his authority, okay? There's a difference. She was trying to usurp his authority, but she's thinking about her family. Just like the Proverbs 31 woman, she's thinking about her family. She's planning ahead. She's having some foresight and thinking ahead. And notice in verse 19, who answered, he's, she said, we said, well, what, what, what is down verse 18? And she said, give me a blessing for those. Give me a Southland. Give me also springs of water. She makes a giant request. She was asking something gigantic. She was, listen, they already got the land, but she's asking for more. Listen, behind every great man is a praying wife. Behind every great man is a wife that is inspired to pray and ask God for great things. She knows her father's abilities and she knows her father's assets and she knows he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and she knows that the greatest thing she could do for her husband is to pray for him to pray for his virtue to pray for his character to pray for his godliness to pray that he'd be genuine to pray that he'd be a gentleman to pray that he'd be godly to pray that he'd be protected from lustful desires to pray that he'd be protected from idolatry to pray that he'd be bold in the faith and he would take a stand for God to pray that he would back the preacher and be behind the preacher during critical times of the church and when the church expands Listen, behind every man who's ever going to do something great for God, thank God for a praying wife who gets behind him and prays for God to do some great things. I think about Dr. Rice who was alluding to the great secret to Dr. John R. Rice's ministry was not his speaking. Go back and listen to the archives. He was kind of a monotone type of speaker there, okay? I remember the first time I turned on, I got a recording of a, of a back in the old days, the cassette tape. Remember the cassette tape days, okay? And I got a cassette tape of a message that Dr. Rice had preached. And I'll be honest with you, I had to listen about four or five times because he was a monotone speaker. Just, uh, you know, like that. And I, and I just, I just said, well, man, I, you know, I expected like a fire. I thought he was going to be coming out, you know, just, just very boldly. It was a very, very monotone type of speaker, but the power of God was all over him. But I'll tell you the secret, Dr. Rice was not his organizational skills. It was not his writing skills, though they were great. It was not his preaching skills. It was not any of those things. I tell you what's great about him was old Mrs. John R. Rice was back in that old cottage back there in Murfreesville, Tennessee, praying for that man day in and day out. I'm thankful for Mrs. Schmidt every morning at 2 o'clock in the morning praying for me in this church. And she's not the only one. She made a giant request. She said, listen, we, we need something greater here. A godly wife encourages her husband to ask to, to, do, to do big things for God. She, she encourages him to just watch over the family and, to, to, and, to, and, to, and just to claim big things from God and undergirds their family with prayer. You look at some of you need to read the biography of Susanna Wesley and realize how Susanna Wesley, the greatness of her as a mother over 17 children was not her organizational skills. It was her praying life. 
only see a giant request and a gift of reward, but notice a generous resource. She said, give me a blessing. I believe she was the embodiment of a Jabez. Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. And she goes to her father and through her husband and says, give me a blessing. Give me something bigger than me. Give me something that I cannot attain my own. Give me something that seems impossible. Give me something that will glorify God. Listen, the first thing you ought to pray for in your home, your family, is pray for those unborn children that they'll get saved one day. And pray for those children that have been born that they'll get saved one day. And that they'll live for God and love their Bible and love Jesus. And one day will be a Sunday school teacher or a missionary for the glory of God. And she answered, asked him something. He says, you've given me a south land. Notice the enormousness of what she asked for and how he blessed her. Give me upper springs and lower springs. That's what the word nether means, lower springs. Man, this woman had, she had a great, she had a great civil engineering mind. She's thinking, man, we need water coming from the top, the upper springs, and we need water that we can pipe up from the lower springs. We need it coming down and we need it coming up. That's how God blesses you and me. Amen. He has it coming down and he has it coming up. Thank God for the earthly blessings, which are temporal. Thank God for the blessings of family. Thank God for the blessing of eating. Thank God for the blessing of good health. Thank God for the blessing of good friendships. Thank God for the blessing of using our abilities for the glory of God. Thank God for the ability to rest and relax. Those are the earthly temporal blessings. Those are the nether springs that bless and encourage our heart that we come back to over and over again. But listen, thank God for the eternal permanent blessings that flow down from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I remind you now that the upper springs are the blessings from heaven that come down upon us. Those are the answers to prayer. That's the power of the Spirit. That's the working of God in our life. Those turn, those wonderful blessings. I think about this past week as Brother Denny alluded to on all the services we had on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Listen, those were the upper springs where the upper springs of the blessings of God came down from heaven above upon your life and mine. I remind you today in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, we've been blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we should never take for granted or be ungrateful for those springs, those upper springs and those nether springs where God blesses us. There's the nether springs of children. There's the nether springs of grandchildren. There's the nether springs of friendship. There's the nether springs of being helpful to other people. I'm just saying today, she had a, she was given a generous resource. She got blessings from above and blessings from below. Oh, thank God today that Othniel was blessed with a wonderful companion. He was blessed with a companion that matched his heart and she stayed with him for life. Thank God for that. But notice the third thing tonight. We see Othniel as a conqueror. We see Othniel and his companion. Notice in Judges chapter 3, we see Othniel in a time of crisis. Israel is in a time of crisis. One phrase underscores the entire period of the judges. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. That means they couldn't submit. Their problems obeying. That's kind of interesting because when we go through the book of Deuteronomy, it's a book filled with commandments. Blessings if you obey, cursings if you don't. All of Deuteronomy is, is our continuous sermons encouraging them to get them ready for the promised land. That's why whenever we have something we're going to do, we try to get the church prepared through preaching. Joshua's off the scene. All the men that live with Joshua are off the scene. A new generation rises up. 
And notice the first thing we see during this time of generation. Notice we see a polluted society. Verse 5 says, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and they were all parasites. God told me, you're supposed to take them all out. You're not supposed to leave them there. Two can't walk together except they be agreed. They're either going to change you or you're going to change them. And I want to declare to you tonight, the course of history, when you try to mingle with the world and mingle with the enemies of the Lord, I'm going to tell you, they do a better job of changing you than you will change them. They took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to be their sons. Now, notice as I read this, I'm not, I don't want to sound crude or nasty, but I do want to say this. There is no faith. They weren't looking for blessings inside their nation. And every now and then, please listen to me tonight. Every now and then, you might be at a place in your Christian life, you get disgruntled with the church. You get disgruntled with my preaching. You get, you get disgruntled that we, we don't have 30-minute services and you can go home and watch TV. Every now and then, you're not going to like the decision that's made. You're not going to like how this happened here or that happened. Hey, we go in that new building. Some of you are not going to like the new building. It's what it is. Rooms are too small. Bathrooms not large enough. We don't have, the chairs are not comfortable. I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have this. Hey, you know, we need to have a spirit of thankfulness. Because I know churches right now that just wish they had any kind of a building. My good friend Tim Gibson, I'll be preaching for him. He's over in Columbia, Missouri. He's in a town of 2,000 people and runs a church of 200, 10% of the town population. A week, two years ago, I went to go preach from there in Columbia, Missouri. And the, uh, a few weeks before I got there, he said, Brother Father, I'm so glad you're here. He says, man, this has been a kind of a challenging year. I said, what happened? He said, well, you know what? The Sunday before the church planners conference there at Heartland, he said, I, 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 uh, it was 830 in the morning. And my wife started screaming from the bottom of the floor. And they had an old wooden stove down there. And I've been to his home. And he said, old wooden stove there. And he says, you know what? Our house caught on fire. And we, we barely got out with the clothes on our back. I went to the place where his house burned down. It's just nothing there but a slab of rock. Same time that happened to him, another preacher at the Heartland Baptist Bible Conference, he got a, he got a report, a phone kept ringing, he looked at the phone, and he looked, at it. I better go answer this phone, he slipped out of the service on Tuesday, and he slipped out of the service on Tuesday, and someone said, preacher, he had to tell you this, but your house just caught on fire and it's burning to the ground. And I tell you that because sometimes we take for granted all the things that go on in our lives, and what would we do if we didn't have this, what would we do if we didn't have that, but I'm saying today, sometimes we get so used to the blessings, the blessings from the upper springs and the blessings from the nether springs, that we just take for granted everything that it's just going to happen the way it should, and we start having this entertainment mindset, well, did, well no, I've got to have, I've got to give my opinion, and I've got to find out, I've got to check off like this, and like I'm going to give it a 10, like I'm going to Marriott Hotel, and if I didn't like the bed sheets, I'm going to give it a 1, and I'm going to go over here, if I didn't like the food, I'm going to give it a 2, and you know, we don't do church like that. We don't do church. We don't do each other like that. Man, if you're in the world, you do that in the world. You don't do that in church. And notice we find her. They took their daughters to be their wives. They gave their daughters to be their wives. They weren't satisfied. They weren't having their devotion. They weren't walking with God. Holiness had been degraded down to the bottom of the totem pole. And they served their gods. 
And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam in the growth. Notice the order of events. They started doing, they started changing their behavior. They lowered their standards. And you notice right here, they got to the place where they started to serve their gods. I'll be honest with you. Listen to me tonight. There's a lot of things going on in your work site. I've been there, I know. A lot of things going on your work site. A lot of things going on in your neighborhood that you've just gotten used to. doesn't bother you anymore. I promise you this. You look at our society. Homosexuality is in your face on television now. Look at the advertisements there. They're disgusting. Totally disgusting. But guess what? They've just changed a generation. People just get used to it. Oh, I didn't notice that. Dishonesty and thievery and things of that nature. Cursing, swearing, all those things. It doesn't bother the average person anymore. And they got used to being around them. They wanted to be just like them. And we find a polluted society. And you'll notice what happens here. They got to the place where the Bible says in verse 7, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They went from, from bad to worse and from worse to wicked. And they forgot the Lord their God. Listen, we start morphing like that. You watch this. Well, this is how we forget God. We forget to have our devotion. We forget to go to church. We forget to serve the Lord. We forget to volunteer. We forget to get involved with, with faith promise mission. We forget to give to the Lord's work. We forget to say thank you. We forget to stay behind and do something. We forget that the church is not the staff's responsibility only. The church is all of our responsibility. We've got this mindset that, you know, that people serve us. No, 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 no. We're servant leaders. We are to serve one another in Jesus Christ. That's Bible. And so we look at the Bible here and they got this place and they forgot the Lord. I wonder this year, as we think about, about faith and believing God, I wonder if our faith is just having trouble because we've forgotten the Lord. We're building the Lord around us instead of building us around the Lord. And we see this polluted society and notice the effect of it. As thing goes on, God said, okay, that's enough. The Bible says, verse 8, then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he showed them the hand. I'm not going to try to pronounce this guy's name. Amen. But I'll tell you what his name means. Twice wicked king. Now, I don't know what went on in the mind of his mother and father when they gave him the name, but be called twice wicked king. Double over. This guy was terrible. He was, he was a, a, a king from Mesopotamia. And he came, he came from the area of Syria. The same area. By the way, if you study your Bible geography, it was the same area where Abraham dwelt at one time. God took someone from the area they were to have possessed. Where they claimed their historical rights to Father Abraham. And this comes down to this twice wicked king. Just to enlighten you, go to Genesis 14. You'll get some insight about that. About those kings that warred there. The civil war that existed between five kings and four kings. This king came down from there. And the Bible says this twice wicked king. He came down and he took possession of them. Notice what happens in verse 8. The children of Israel served this twice wicked king for eight horrible years. When you want the freedom to do whatever you want, eventually you become a slave to wantonness and worldly lifestyle. Israel was in trouble. They're in crisis. They're in a polluted society. And the society is morphed then. The morphed society is changing them. And notice we see a proven selection. At that moment in time, God put this pressure in their life just like God puts pressure in your life and mine. You need to thank God tonight for trials and pressures in life. They make you a better person when it comes to prayer. It makes you more thankful because you can count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. 
You, it makes you more thankful for the fact that First Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith says that the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold, which perisheth. Though be tried in the fire. And we notice this man here that God raises up Othniel 40 years later. Othniel has been part of the, has been part of everything there, but he's been very quiet on the backside there, but he's been consistent and he's been persistent in his philosophy. He's been consistent in his faith, his godliness, his character, his testimony. Listen, there's a lot of things that work against us. I understand the pressures we face out there that want to morph you into itself and to get you to change in your conviction and change in your thinking there. But the Bible says there, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Othniel came onto the pages of Scripture as a blazing fire in Joshua 15. And once again, God revives those fires through Othniel. He brings them back on the picture. He raises up a proven selection, a man that had proven himself 40 years before and stayed faithful to God. And God raised him up to get the job done. He stepped up and got the job done when he took Kirjasever. And now God raised him up for an even bigger task. He needed to bring the nation back to God. Here was a man who understood the conscience of God and the lowering of the conscience of the nation of the people. And he understood God and his character and, and God's desire that he wanted a holy nation, a holy people. And God was working Othniel's heart. He had, he had work on his hand. And listen, the Bible says here, God raised up Othniel. But notice when we see a proven selection, he was the right man out of millions. And maybe the only man out of millions that God had that he could raise up at that time. Notice we see the power of the Spirit. Because this man didn't do it through a persuasive personality. And he didn't do it through the gift of gab. And he didn't do it through his articulation. And he didn't do it through his organizational skills. And he didn't do it because he, he made friends and influenced people. No, those things are all important. But that's not how God used this man to change a nation. God used him because of the power of the Spirit of God. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And they say he judged Israel and the Spirit came. He said the Spirit came first. Next Sunday, please be here at Sunday night for our victory reports. The evening service, the message, the follow. I'll be telling the Sunday school teachers a little bit, some things that affect them. Tonight after the service. But I'm going to tell you tonight. The people I love and God loves. We can do all the planning, all the organization, all the strategization, but the power of God's not on it. We failed. We failed. We failed. And we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. For someone who wasn't here today, did we fail? Because people look at you and look at me. Is there evidence of the power of the Spirit in our lives? The, the Spirit controls there's a difference in that life. The difference in our speech, the difference in our thinking, the difference in our attitude. The fruit of the Spirit is overflowing. Jesus said that he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Often you have the anointing of God. That anointing comes one way, prayer and thirsting for God. That anointing gave him supernatural power to overcome the wicked devices of a twice wicked king. The anointing made him unbeatable. Look what happens. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and he went out to war. He didn't try to go out to war first and then he got the power. You know, what a lot of us do. We know what we're supposed to do to try to win souls. And we try to win souls without the power of the spirit. We fail. 
We're just doing fleshly work then. We're just all flesh. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and he went out to war and the Lord delivered the twice wicked king into his hand and his hand prevailed against the twice wicked king. Listen, that's all we need to know. The spirit of God got the job done through a proven servant. Spurgeon said this, every growth of spiritual life from the first tender shoot until now has been the work of the Holy Spirit. The only way to more life is the Holy Spirit. You will not even know that you want more unless he works in you to desire it. The Spirit of God must come and make the letter alive and transfer it to your heart and set it on fire and make it burn within you or else its divine force and majesty will be hid from your eyes. Prayer is the creation of the Holy Spirit. I like that. We cannot do without prayer and we cannot pray without the Holy Spirit. We see this man during crisis. I've watched a lot of us during crises. And honestly, if I had to grade us according to the scriptures, I think all of us fail when it comes to crises. We get panic attacks. We think we have the right answer. We get agitated with another personality because they didn't do it the way we wanted done. The end result, we may get our way, but it may not be God's way. We see Othniel in a crisis. May I help you tonight? Please listen to me tonight. We're seeing great days of God's blessing on this church. But where there's great blessings, there's also great crises that come. There are times of trial and difficulty. And we need to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And we must understand crises were not meant to divide us. Crises were meant to unite us. And crises were not meant to destroy us. Crises were meant to build us. And we just understand when crises come, and we have a lot of families going through crises right now. They're, de- they're, they're God's method means for us to let the grace of God work in us so the grace of God can work in the lives of other people, that they may realize that His strength is made perfect in weakness, and that most gladly, therefore, will we rather glory in our infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon us, he says. But I want you to notice one last thing. We're done tonight. We see Othniel, the conqueror, uh, his uncle said, whoever take courage as Sefer, can have my daughter access to wife. The Bible says Othniel took it. We see Othniel and his companion. She was a great inspiration, a great help me to him. We see Othniel in crisis, the time when the nation was in crisis, he was the right man at the right time. Hey, listen, everything we pray for and everything we do now is to prepare us for the crisis to come. Notice as we close tonight, I want you to notice one other thing about verse 11. Notice Othniel, the conciliator. This is what I'm going to tell you now is not popular preaching, but it's biblical preaching I'm going to tell you right now. The land had rest 40 years. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. The word conciliator is synonymous with the word Judge. Judge meant this, as the people came with their issues, he had to be impartial. He was not a respecter of persons. He was not being, he, he was not having partiality. He didn't give favor to the rich and despise the poor. Didn't do those things. He had to be a man of moral uprightness to consider the situation. At the same time, he had to be balanced, just like it says of Jesus Christ, he was full of grace and truth. 
He had to have the ability of understanding where justice had to be served, but, but, but counteracting with mercy and truth at the same time. He had to understand that, 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 that delicate balance that you have to have in dealing with people and working through situations. Listen, when we have problems, we don't kick everybody out of the church. We have to be long-suffering. The Bible tells us leaders, we're in, we're to have, for those who are adversaries, we're in meekness, instructing those that impose themselves, he says in 2 Timothy 2.24. And notice here, this man is a judge. He had, to, he, had to, he had to be a judge of his peers. He's 60 years old. Listen, Caleb's gone. Joshua's gone. Now he is standing there in leadership. And he had to think about the fact, man, I, listen, God, prepare me for this moment in time that I, I'm in a leadership position. I better be very careful of my influence. And I better be very careful of my words. And I better be very careful of my decisions. And the Bible says that through this man's influence the land had rest for 40 years you know what jesus says about that listen to me tonight blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of god not troublemakers not stirring up strife not creating controversy not being judgmental not comparing ourselves to others. By the way, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us when we do that, that's faulty judgment. There is already division in the nation. We don't need more division. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, he said. Listen, we have one baptism and one God and one Bible. Peace begins in our hearts. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must have peace in our families. Better is a morsel of bread and quietness therein than a house filled with strife and full of sacrifices. Stop fighting in your homes. Amen? So find your homes. What are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? Why do you have to prove you're right? We're both wrong. We have to prove we're right. Peace in our homes. Talk it through. Work it out. We need peace in our church. Be at peace with one another, Paul said. Do you notice how all the epistles dealt with people dynamics inside those churches? Corinth had problems. Galatia had problems. Ephesus had problems. Philippi had problems. Colossae had problems. I mean, look at all the churches that are listed. Thessalonica had a problem. I mean, the, all the problems were people problems. And people problems arose and, 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 and came about and, and they were led to divisions and, and all these different types of things. Here. Listen, we need to strive more than ever before to have peace within our church. And I'm not saying we don't have it. I'm just saying let's strive to keep peace within our church. People want peace in the world. And remind you tonight, the author of peace is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Great peace of they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. When I look at perfect peace and grace peace, it tells me the secret of getting great peace and perfect peace. Faith and obedience to the word of God. So close tonight, Othiel means Lion of God. He was of the tribe of Judah. Years before, Jacob prophesied about men that would arise in the tribe of Judah. He said in Genesis 49.9, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. 
He stooped down. He couched as a lion, as an old lion. Who should rouse him up? Listen, the world he lived in was a jungle. The world he lived in was kill and be killed, conquer, be conquered. And he rose up as a lion of God. Fittingly, God enabled his mother to foresee how he could be used of God. And she gave him a name and condition and trained him to be a lion of God. And listen, as he fell, as he, as he continued in the path of his forefathers, of men like Judah, who had a spiritual turnaround in his life. And he continued in the, in the pathway of men like his, like his uncle Caleb. He went down that pathway and he was a lion of God. And I remind you tonight, as we, as we endeavor to live for Jesus Christ, I remind you tonight, there's a lion in this world. And the lion is not you and me. He's a lion who walketh about seeking who he may devour. Listen, Satan is looking for the weak. He's looking for the innocent. He's looking for the disabled. He's looking for the unsuspecting. He's looking for the ones he could take. But I tell you, what takes over a lion that walketh about whom he may devour is a bigger and larger lion. And that lion who overcomes the lion who walks about seeking may devour is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus Christ. Revelation 5, 5, and one of the elders saith unto me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loosen the seven seals thereof. Hey, don't let the lion who walks about seeking me devour to overcome you and conquer you and devour you. Look to the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a greater lion in your behalf tonight. I'll do pictures for you and me, the I believe of a champion, a conqueror. The Lion of God, he was a conqueror. It's the Lion of God, he was blessed with a great companion. It's the Lion of God, he was proven when crisis came. It's the Lion of God, he's demonstrated he was a man of God, but he's conciliating abilities. I spoke about Dr. Rice. And during that generation, there's some lines of God. You know, we have some today. A good friend, Dr. Ed Lorena, they're going into their 39th anniversary there in Laguna. Four Sundays for their anniversary. They do the things a little bit different. They can do it there in the Philippines. I'm not saying we can't, but they, they can. 35 years ago, God laid on Dr. Lorena's heart to start a Bible college. You have to see their area where they started. And, and just the humble, humble conditions. Right now, they have about two or 300 students in that college. He texted me while I was up in Wisconsin. He says, he said, Brother Fong, he said, pray for us. Our first Sunday's coming up for our anniversary. And God laid on my heart, I want 5,500 first-time visitors on the first Sunday. He's endeavoring to have 10,000 first-time visitors this month, this coming month. I'm waiting for the report, but most likely they hit the 5,500 visitors. I've been there when he's had 3,000 first-time visitors. He's had the governor of the province and the mayor of the city and Congress people there. And as we gave, as we preached and the invitation would be given, people would raise their hand. They'd come and say, Pastor Fong, thank you. That message is exactly what God wanted me to hear. I got saved today. I mean, I just drove people by the droves getting saved there, standing up and calling upon the Lord to save them. And I'm saying, we've, God has raised up some men today who've got that lion's heart. And I could tell you, I could spend the rest of the night telling you about men that you've never even heard of, don't even know about, who've got a great lion's heart serving God. I think about our good friend, Dr. Brother Terry Unruh, down there in Sri Lanka, who went there without knowing anybody, anything, but if you go down to the work of Sri Lanka, he's, he's got some proven. We've met the men. I've met the men. He's got some proven preachers he raised up. I think of our missionary there, Brother Sam Thomas, second generation missionary, well over 100 plus Indian churches doing a great work for God. We've got two veteran missionaries I'm working on right now to get into our missions conference. One from India we've never heard from before. One from Africa we've never heard from before. They're going to come here getting the work done for the glory of God. I think of a young man by the name of Jerry Wyatt who went there really not knowing what God was going to do. And we, the reports, I don't know about you, but I, 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 
I'm encouraged by the reports of Jerry Wyatt. And I can tell you about so many other men that God is using in a great way. They are lions of God. And what to God, that God in the generation while we're here, while I'm pastor of this church, what to God, that God would raise us some lions of God in Heritage Baptist Church. Some of you young men need to stop being content with yourself and be content with Jesus. You need to step up and say, God's put the call on me. I need to surrender and be a preacher of God and have faith in God and believe what God's able to do. You know what you're able to do, but you've never experienced what God is able to do. Let's get God's power in our life. Decide to do something. I don't care if you're in a midlife crisis. Get rid of your midlife crisis and have the Christ who can overcome those crises work through your life tonight. Do something for the Lord. The Bible says of Othniel, one thing. Othniel took it. What are you going to take tonight? What are you going to take tonight? I urge you tonight, let's get that spirit and faith. And by the way, as we speak about a line of God, a line of God begins with faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Tonight I invite you, if you're not saved, this is the day the Lord's made. He's made today so that you can get saved. You can call on Jesus to save you. He'll wash away your sins. He'll bring you into His family. He'll write your name in, the, he'll write your name in heaven and you'll be recorded there forever and forever and ever with the gift of eternal life. I urge you tonight, if you're not saved, get saved. I urge you tonight, whether you're a man or woman, to get that greatness. Maybe there's some ladies tonight need to be like Aksa who have a great request of God, who ask something great of the Lord. Maybe you ought to come as a single person and just humble yourself before God at the altar and say, God, provide me a husband, provide me a wife, the right person. Help me, God, to just to be the person I need to be so that, God, you can bless in that and not go trying to find, your, find something somewhere else. Find it in the will of God according to God's word. Listen, God will bless and take care of that if you just trust God. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Father, tonight we thank you for this man by the name of Othniel and the encouragement he gives us. And we thank you tonight. It just says about his faith that he took it and he, and he was a descendant of, Lord, his, his uncle Caleb who served you. And tonight our faith needs a stirring and our faith needs to, Lord, just to be shaken up somewhat tonight. And we need to be stirred in our heart and our life to claim something from God, to take a Kurjas Sefer or two. And, Lord, to be, be proven in our philosophy, be persistent in our philosophy. And, Lord, 30 years from now, for some, that they're still the same. They haven't changed in their beliefs and they haven't changed in their behaviors. If anything, they've got more of God's power on their life. And what to God all of us would realize today that God's looking for those moments of opportunity where He can pour out His Spirit upon us to use us for the glory of God. Help us tonight that you'd correct our thinking and our philosophy where we think we can go to war and we can go to serve and we can go do this and do that without the power of the Spirit. Help us tonight, Lord. We know we know what the Bible says, but Lord, we don't have enough of the Spirit tonight. And Lord, tonight, would you change us this evening to crave and desire and thirst and hunger for the Spirit's power and the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's working tonight. Father, have your way tonight. Raise up a generation of Christian husbands and Christian wives and marriages and homes in our church that would glorify the Lord and give, give honor to Christ and would change the local Bay Area and change the world for Jesus Christ. Oh, help parents tonight to let go of the strings they're holding on to and pray that God would raise their children, maybe their unborn children, to be used greatly of God. Father, tonight, have your way in our church service tonight. Help us to say like, like Othniel that he'll take it. Help us to believe tonight that you're able to work through us. Help us to believe tonight that we can do these things. And then tonight, some of us need to be conciliators. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Father, forgive us if we're causing division, disruptiveness, and causing uh, heartache to others. And Lord, help us have peace in our homes and peace in our church and peace in our uh, where we're at, dear God, and peace in our lives tonight. May God's power prevail. May you be glorified tonight as we give the invitation. Help us to come without any inhibition. Help us to come tonight without any restraints. Help us not to quench the Holy Spirit of God, but let God have His power and weight in our lives tonight. May Lord, you work through this time of invitation. If some need to get saved tonight, and there are, 
I pray tonight that they'd sense the Spirit working their heart and convicting them and pressuring them and, con- and helping them realize they need to get saved tonight. And may they call upon the blessed Lord who can save them from their sins. Father, we give you this invitation time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. You need to come tonight. I invite you to come. Please don't delay. Would you come tonight? Let's come this evening. God calls upon us tonight. Would you be a conciliator? Would you get more of God's power in your life? Would you come tonight and realize we need to be a lion of God? Would you pray for those unborn children and those children that you have? Would you pray that God would raise up an Othniel? Would you, would you be some of you older men tonight? Why don't you just decide tonight to set a good pattern whose faith they will follow? Would you do that tonight? Would you just decide if you're deviating your doctrine? You're changing in your standards. How about just get back with the Bible tonight? Amen. Let's just get back to that this evening. Would you come tonight? Let the Lord have his way. I urge you to come tonight. Maybe tonight there's some crisis in your life and you need to seek God for his power and his help in your life. Would you get his power for the crises in your life tonight? Would you do that? Just keep believing like we said about Jairus this morning. Keep believing. Jesus said, be not afraid. Only believe. Would you do that tonight? you're not saved tonight, I urge you this evening, right where you're seated, right where you're standing, would you call on the Lord to save you from your sins? Would you say, Jesus, I need to get saved tonight. I need what the pastor talked about tonight. I need Christ in my heart. I need to get saved and washed from my sins. Would you do that tonight? Father, this evening as we consider the man by the name of Othio, thank you for a man who stood in his generation And God, when the generation he lived in was in need of a leader, God, you raised him up at the right time. Lord, we need leaders in our homes. We need leaders at our work site. And we show people have been blinded by the God of this world. That, Lord, you're a God that loves them. You're a God that's concerned for them. And, Lord, whether we're quiet or maybe a little bit more ostentatious in our ways, Lord, use us to be a blessing, to touch other people's lives and make a difference for Christ. Tonight, I pray that you'd help us with what we've heard tonight to be good stewards of it and to give the earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we let them slip. I pray this evening that as Paul said in Hebrews, today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts as they did in the day of provocation. Father, we pray this evening, deliver us from the evil heart of unbelief. Keep our hearts tender and sensitive. Help this week that every one of your children would have a great devotion week this week of walking with God. And getting your mind off the pages of Scripture, seeing answers to prayer and God's working lives. And then tonight, Lord, we come to you for two requests. We pray for Brother Isagani. Actually, three requests for Brother Isagani. Thank you. He's back home. We pray for his wellness and complete recovery tonight. We pray tonight for Isabella, the granddaughter of Brother Ed Mascara, and God for her healing and recovery from a stroke. Just a little girl that had a blood clot in her brain. We pray for her mother and her father and her relatives during this critical time that they come to know Jesus as their Savior. And then we pray for the Bellario family tomorrow as they have the memorial service and lay the dear mother to rest. We ask the Lord you'd comfort their hearts during this time. Such a large clan of people. And Lord, she was such a great woman in many ways in her faith, but perhaps much like an Aksa in some ways. And we pray that you comfort the hearts of Brother Lewis and his siblings and comfort them during this time. And then, of course, throughout our congregation, there are other crises going on and things. I pray that you'd show yourself strong in the hearts of our members tonight, that you'd be glorified. All these things we commit to and pray for tonight, thanking you because you're a God who loves us and you care about us. And, Lord, you tell us we can cast our care upon you because you care for us. And we pray all these things in the powerful, matchless, unchangeable, almighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.